This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. everybody and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. This week we have a dear friend of mine calling in via Zoom from New York. As a musician and a flutist, her sound reflects the sense of awareness and urgency of this generation. A generation that is more aware than ever of our self-destruction after decades of habitual planetary abuse, which also happens to be what propelled us into the technologically inclined world we are in today. Her music imbibes the energy of rock and roll, the cadence of street protests, the visceral improvisations of jazz, and the compositional language of classical music. From Gothenburg, Sweden, to Brooklyn, New York, her musical journey began at the age of two, singing in her father's ex-Navy choir. She began playing the piano at five and composing at six and picked up the flute at the age of 14 to have an instrument that she could take backpacking, which was the only reason she gave up the piano, because it wouldn't fit on her back. So may I proffer a wonderful English Talking Flutes Extra podcast welcome to the utterly delectable and brilliant musician that is Elsa Nilsson. Welcome, Elsa. Yay. Yay. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, and uh, the truth is, we should have done this two days ago, shouldn't we? <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get a message from Elsa say, are we on? And I looked in my on my schedule and thought, no, it's not until Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday. No, Wednesday. No, Tuesday. It was the, the day after. <laughs> And yeah. Elsa came back and said, no, I was, in the rec- I'm in the, I was in the recording studio the next day, which is why you agreed to bring it forward to a day. And I was on a train in London, coming out of London at the time. So Elsa being Elsa was so lovely and just sort of let me get away with it. To reschedule I teased you a little bit. You did, but I very rarely get embarrassed. But, you know, I actually felt myself sort of going red. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for rescheduling for me, Elsa. Of course. Happy to. Yeah, it's the first time we've spoken for a little while. How's it all going? Year? A year, yes. It's going pretty good. Yeah, normally, yeah. We, normally we catch up once a year at the NFA or somewhere else, but uh, you know, we haven't, obviously, because what's been going on in the past, um, we haven't been able to, yeah. but what's been going on? You know, a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things. I think that's all like, we you know, that's talk- I expected you to say that. You know, yeah, a um, lot of things. <laughs> I'm teaching at the new school again, which is the most fun teaching I've ever done. It's exciting because the students are either really engaged or really like mistrustful of what I'm telling them. <laughs> so I get to have this experience of either showing them things that they're excited about or convincing them why rhythm is important, which I'm good at. Yeah, I think our last podcast we did with you, it was about rhythm and you were tying me in knots about how the, the complicated nature of rhythm, where most of us see simplistic rhythm, but mm-hmm. Elsa doesn't see simplistic rhythm. She sees sort of weird constructs, mathematical equations that she puts down on paper for a band to play. I mean, sometimes, yeah. The way I'm thinking about it more now is it's the part of music where we're together. Like it's the, it's the thing that we all missed during the pandemic. Rhythm is the thing that we couldn't do online. Actually playing together with rhythm. Do you know, that's interesting. When you were playing together and you did a lot of live stuff, I, I know, live streaming, and you were playing with musicians yeah. via Zoom and other uh, platforms, what is the difference to you when you've come back together as a live group? Apart from the energy, how was the rhythm different? I mean, there's no latency. It's immediate, which is what gives it energy. Like, I think you kind of put a point on it right there, like apart from the energy, well, the rhythm is the energy. I've never thought about it like that, but you're exactly right, aren't you? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about David Guetta <laughs> and, Ibiza, uh-huh. and Ibiza before we started this podcast. And that rhythm is that energy because that beat is the energy. 
But yeah. we're, we're not talking about the beat. We're talking about rhythm and we're talking about... We're talking about cycles and breath and motion. Like yeah. all of those things intrinsically contain rhythmic information. Like vibrato on flute, vibrato contains rhythmic information. So there's rhythm within notes as well as between notes. Is that why sometimes we don't like a vibrato, a certain type of vibrato, because we don't get on with the rhythm that we're hearing? Yeah, it doesn't resonate with us. But resonance is also rhythm. Oh, we're going to go down a rabbit hole. Hey, I missed you. <laughs> missed you too, Elsa. <laughs> right, let's get a plug in for that book of yours, that brilliant, brilliant book. Come on, come on, before we go any further. Uh, okay. The book is called Between the Beats, and it is uh, an exercise book on how to develop your sense of time and your relationship to rhythm as a melodic instrument. And it's brilliant, and they can get it directly from your website, elsanilson.com. Um, it's on it's on the Bumblebee oh, of course website. It is. Yeah, Bumblebee. Um, Bumblebee Collective. I think you also have like a couple copies in I do. London. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also on at Flute World. Flute Center. Is that Flute Center? Yes. Flute Center of New York, yep. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. So I know things. You where do. Where my stuff is. You do. <laughs> but the great thing about you, and I've, 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 I've also, te- we were speaking again before the podcast started, and your website, I decided to look on a big 12 foot by 6 foot screen last night. And oh, there's a lot of art on there. <laughs> there is a lot of art that literally jumps out, but just show, mm. it gives a good indication of you as an individual because. You are not constrained with the note. You like to do mix the visual with the the, the auditory. And yeah. I think for you that's important. And I stumbled across on one of the pages, Atlas of Sound. Yeah. Which I and I and it, it jumped out because you've got a dirty great big picture of a redwood. Of the sort of actually this the tree but without the side. So the whole of the wood jumps into my face. Yeah, it's, it's a close-up of the bark. And it is absolutely stunning. So this is a new album, but I was a bit confused. It says Atlas of Sound, and then you've got Coast Redwoods, and then you've got this sort of these coordinates written uh-huh. down, which 41 degrees, 32 minutes and 9 seconds or whatever it is, north, and then 124 degrees, 4 hours or minutes, 35 whatever it is, 5 west. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the album? Um, okay, so the project is Atlas of Sound. I intend to make more of these. Ah, gotcha. I should have read, I should have read the this, this description underneath, shouldn't I? I don't know if it's in there, actually, but it might be. Um, it's, so Atlas of Sound is the like overarching project. Coast Redwoods is this specific one. It's Got about me. the Coast Redwoods. And the coordinates are the place I wrote it. Ah, very Prince of you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, my, whole, my whole idea with the project is, like, we think of ourselves as separate from nature, like, as a species. We have mm-hmm. created this disillusionment with the world around us that we're like, we are either the protectors of nature or we are completely separated from it. When in reality, we live on a planet where we are part of an ecosystem. Um, and I think that... What I wanted to do with this project was to create something that engaged our relationship to the spaces around us by creating music that was location-specific. So the Redwood record is the first one I completed. I've finished writing the one for Crater Lake, which will be recorded at some point. And I have a couple of other, like, seeds that I'm going to turn into records in the future. But the coordinates are, like, what I do is I go to these places, I spend time there, I, like, sit quietly and listen, and then when I hear something... I record it into my phone. <laughs> really? Into a voice memo. And then I take that home, transcribe it, write it down, um, add chords, manipulate it, and turn it into a suite. Um, so the Redwood record, it's 10 songs, and it's the seeds from it were partially from that, the coordinates that are on the front and partially from a different Redwood Grove a little further south. And it's just, it's like different parts of the redwood forest, all the different parts of the ecosystem. It expresses how it feels to be there. It expresses the relationships between the trees, between us and the trees, how my perception of how they view us, um, which is an interesting thought experiment. Like if we are part of a relationship with these beings, why aren't we considering their perspective? Because they're a hell of a lot bigger than we are. So we're the equivalent, right, of, which, we're the equivalent of a beetle or an ant, aren't we, to them? Because they're so big. 
Right. But that means that we really need to consider their perspective because they've been there a lot longer. They probably know some shit that we don't. <laughs> Very true. They could tell a few stories, couldn't they? Totally. Um, which is why the close-up of the bark is actually the cover. One of the songs is for those little, like, rivers that happen in the bark. And also the bark is fireproof, which is the most crazy thing. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Fire is part of the redwood tree's life cycle. So they actually can't, giant sequoias can't reproduce without fire. Oh, wow. Not giant fires that destroy them, but like small controlled fires, which is one of the things that indigenous tribes would do, would set like small fires to clear out the underbrush so then the bigger fires wouldn't take over and burn down the whole state like they're doing now. So when you're lying, sorry, lying, you, you probably lie, sit, stand, do a somersault, do a stand upside down. When you I walk around barefoot. Yeah, you do all that. When you're sat in <laughs> front of one of these majestic trees, mm-hmm. you probably can't answer this, but what actually do you feel from it? I absolutely can answer that. That's in, that's in the record. And there's so much there. The most important thing that I feel is like everyone I talk to about redwoods who've been there, like, oh, yeah, it's a spiritual experience. That's the first thing people say who've been in a redwood grove. And part of it is like the architecture of the trees. They're so cathedral-like that it's hard to walk in. If you've been in a church or any kind of religious building, you walk in, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what that feels like. So we're preconditioned to feel spiritual presence in those spaces. It's also for me, it's I feel welcomed. I feel like I belong there. But I also feel like I don't matter at all. And I kind of love that. Like there's this, there's this like, of course you're here. Of course you are welcome here. You are so insignificant though, because you're so tiny. And that's fine. You're still welcome. You're still loved. Like I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to show up in any specific way. I can just go there and be. Do you know, it's really interesting you say that because a few years ago, I went to Yosemite. I went to the giant sequoia part Mm -hmm. of the Yosemite and there was nobody there it was early in the morning and you're you're exactly right it was majestic it was they're all so tall and -hmm. it's so peaceful and you sit down when you sit down you just feel something I don't know what it was that I felt but I sat down and it was there was something there because I'd never experienced anything so big not just one tree but lots of them And that's like that feeling is exactly what I wanted to capture in this record because part of it is like being able to create a sonic experience and with the with the book that comes with it and everything like it's a multimedia experience that puts you in that space and shows you what it feels like to be there even if you're not able to travel there. So is each track a a fight as you recording it into your Mm -hmm. iPhone or your your phone? Mm -hmm. Is that a moment in time? Because if you were to go back now and sit in front of the same tree or set of trees, would you get a different thought process? Would there be a different message coming out from those trees? Is it really the narrative of that moment? Actually, this is a kind of an interesting point. And why I started with the Redwoods is because it's, it's two different, different recordings. It's one from the coordinates that are on the cover. That's the first one. And then there's one from the other spot. And they were two months apart. And what was kind of amazing is that there was ideas in both of those recordings that were the same. And they were ideas that I didn't play any other time. Like this music came from those trees. This is what is in those trees. And that's why like I'll go and I'll sit for a while before I play anything. Because I'm trying to stop my brain from giving me my ideas and just listen to the world. That's interesting. How would you stop your mind? Because, yeah, I get it. Because as a creative, and you've been a creative ever since you were born... Your mind is constantly coming up with your thought processes. Anyone that knows you knows that your thought processes are, are constant. You'll hear something yep. and then it will come in and you'll, you'll get a dialogue about something. How, mm-hmm. did you, how did you block that off to focus on something that was coming, energy or whatever it was that was coming back to you? I mean, it's in the, it's in the tempo. It's in like, if I'm, if I'm able to sit still for long enough and listen for long enough that my thoughts kind of simmer to the back, then I can be open and hear what's in front of me. And that's, you know, something I work on all the time. It's, it's meditation. Mm. It's, it's part of improvisation as an art form. Like you don't want to be coming in with preconceived notion. You don't want to be coming in with your own ideas and being like, Hey, I'm going to, 
I'm going to play this specific scale and then I'm going to do these things and then I'm going to direct it in this way and then suddenly it's going to go in this other direction. You can't do that with improvisation because it's, it's fluid and it involves other people. And if you come in with a plan and a direction um, and they're not on board, then it just sounds like conflict. <laughs> yeah, and an improv is perfect for this because an improv has a yeah. life, doesn't it? And you're yeah. you're you're not necessarily going where you want to take it. You're improvising. Mm-hmm. It, whatever you're when you improv, you've told me this before because I have a problem with improv. We all know that. And it, <laughs> it's no, you don't. This conversation is an improvisation. You're perfectly good at it. Oh, a verbal imp- improvisation is is easy same for me. Thing. I can talk for That's England. Same thing. No, it's not. Oh, no, no. You yes, put, it is. Put a, okay, I'm done. Yeah. She's told me off so many times before about this. All I got to do is let go when I play the flute. But it's actually for me, it's difficult. But when you've got that flute in front of you, and you're improv. You're actually going where you feel you need to go, rather than being directed by this thought process inside your head, aren't you? Yes. If I'm thinking, I'm already lost. Yeah. Which means I have to stop. If I'm thinking, that means I have to take a step back. So how much? Just listen. How much again. of the piece did you actually record? I call them seeds. So what happened was I recorded from the from the one up north I recorded like seven tracks and the one in the south I recorded like three, I think. And then when I came home and I write it all down like a lot of what I recorded was improvisation. It's all improvised. And some of it like if you're listening to the record Old Growth and Proof of the Unseen is unchanged from what I recorded in the trees. Everything else I wrote down and then I had to change and move and adjust. And then I took ideas from this part and took ideas from a different part and then moved them around and like interacting. So the writing, the, the composing of the piece was in this room. It was in Brooklyn. But the seeds were from the Redwoods, what the material I was using. So some of it is just like a small idea that I then wove through everything that to me represents something from the trees. And then some of it came out as a full piece. It's kind of like Mary Oliver talks about poetry. Like sometimes it's a lot of work and sometimes the poem just shows up and you have to be ready to write it down. It's the case of watering it in the right way, watering the seeds when you get back to Brooklyn, isn't it? And being open to the experience of being wrong. (laughs) I love that. I love that. If you write something down and it feels wrong, it might be wrong. Really? If everyone heard that squeak, that's my cat coming in. So did you actually sit, you, you created this seed of that moment you picked up mm-hmm. the seed, you took that seed back to Brooklyn and you listened to it and you just thought that is wrong. That just did, it doesn't, doesn't... It doesn't feel right. It's, I mean, I would take out one of the pieces on there is Sunshift Haze. It's the first track on the record. And at the end of what I wrote, the very last like minute and a half is actually what I played in the trees. And then everything before that has stuff taken out. And it's a lot of stuff taken out. Like it's enough that you can't tell that it's the same melody necessarily. Now you might be able to because I told you. But it's for the fog because the Redwoods do this amazing thing with fog where they they pull it in at night and then it goes out in the morning. Like when it's hot in the Central Valley, fog banks come in from the ocean. Clearly I've spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about and reading about trees in the last while because they're very cool. Um, But they bring in the fog and then the leaves of the Redwoods do two things. They pull the fog from the air and they're able to pull the moisture in through the leaves into the trees, which is part of the reason these trees can get so tall is because they don't pull all the water up from the ground. They pull some of it up where they actually need it. But then they also turn it into droplets, which fall down to the ground. So they are able to create their own rain from the fog, which is why it's raining in redwood forests a lot of the time when it's not raining anywhere near them. Like they create rain. So there's this like lush, beautiful, super green ecosystem just where the redwoods are. And then you go like eight blocks away and it's dry. It's like listening to a beautiful story, this. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sat here. Elsa can see me. I'm just sat here, my eyes wide open, just listening. Um, Yeah. So how did you, there was a very, sorry, how did you go about? So you, you, you got back, you listened to the melody. You mm-hmm. listen to the tune that you wrote. You put yourself in the position of uh, visualizing that point. How mm-hmm. did you then enlarge that? How do you then put the chordal work and the structure together? Right. Um, well, I had the melody. 
And I was like, okay, this melody feels like sunshine. It feels like the way the sun comes through the leaves when it's like the sun is really bright, but you're in this dark space because you're under the trees, but you can, you get these moments of really bright sunlight. It feels like being in one of those beams. So how can I diffuse it? How can I take this melody and create a, a padding around it like fog? And that's how the writing process started there. There's like the harmony is the same the whole time. But because the melody changes in the way that we approached playing it in the studio, because of course I'm telling the musicians all this stuff. Like they know this is for the fog. This is when like this bar is where the sun comes out. The solo section, which is my solo, it starts in the fog and you all are the fog. I am the sun. I am breaking through you. That's the concept of the improvisation. And then when we get to this part, that's where the sun comes out. So everybody's improving on it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the chordal structure. Yeah. But the intro, like the first two minutes of the record, is just me being like, hey, here's a photo of fog. Sound like this looks. You've got to have a lot of trust oh. in musicians, haven't you, to do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, but I, like, I, don't, how I do play you, with people that I trust. How do you see fog? Reason. How do you see fog? I'm just interesting. For me, fog, it's, for me, it's grey. It's, it's quite refreshing to go out in fog. We get a lot of it over in mm-hmm. London. And it's, yeah. it's quite refreshing. It's a, bit, a little bit scary if you can't see yeah. for, too far in front of you, especially if you're driving. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's, quite, it's, not a de- it's not dense. It is quite shallow because of the colour scapes. But you yeah. can get really dense fog when you're driving yeah. that is very worrying. So how do you, how do you see fog or did you just see it via the redwoods as in how it was life for them so that that fog was their food was their energy was their being their survival i mean both um fog for me is a forced perspective kind of thing like it it forces you to look at a smaller area that for me is the beautiful part of it and then the way that it clears, because you have this experience of being really enclosed and really like things feel really small and close. And then the sun cuts through and all of a sudden everything's open. And that like it's such a beautiful metaphor for how things can change really quickly. Yeah. Even when we feel like we're closed and we're, we're stuck, if we just let the sun cut through, there is, there is the possibility for things to shift. That is a great metaphor, isn't it? Just allow the, the sun to shine through. And that can be done by visualizing or it can just be done by sitting and listening to something, couldn't it? And just opening your mind to letting whatever comes in is going to come in. Yeah. And the the metaphor of the fog feeling solid, like you were saying, like sometimes it's really dense and really thick. It seems solid, but it's really not. Like you can walk right through it. You can drive right through it. Not safe to do so. Maybe stay home and don't drive in the fog, but still, like it's not solid. That's not. It's like flying, flying a above the clouds isn't it and these, mm-hmm. you have the that layer underneath you but when you come down through it it's, it's the cloud equivalent of the fog isn't it yeah it's just where it is in the atmosphere that makes it fog or a cloud yeah and how long did the album take to record bearing in mind a lot of it was improv <laughs> um well we did it in one day oh no really oh, that's yeah. just, that is typical. most of it was one take oh, i suppose it has to be doesn't it but A day to record an album. A day. That is intense, isn't it? That's what I do. (laughs) That's what I do. Um, We did it in one day. We also didn't use headphones. We just set up in the room with microphones and played. Wow. So there's no isolation. There's no overdubs. There's no, there's no fixes because this was the, this was the first recording I did after lockdown. It was in April of last year and it was like in New York, right when everyone was getting vaccinated. So we were able to do to play in person again and John and Chris were both fully vaccinated so we were like okay we'll you know do rapid tests and go into the studio and this studio is fully equipped to have all of us isolated so we could have done that could have like been in booths and I chose to just play in the room because that way we could move together and we could breathe together and we could have that sense of the big rhythm and the big time and like a lot of what's on this record uses what I refer to as the big beat mm-hmm And what's hard about that is that the tempo is at this place where it's really easy to start feeling like the eighth note is actually the quarter note. And then you get confused and then the tempo moves a lot. All of a sudden you're like, wait, where's the quarter note? So like the times that we did have to do second takes, it was because of tempo things. It was because we all 
breathed a little too far in one direction or another and it made the whole thing fall apart. So there's this like delicate balance between momentum and reflection within everything you're doing with this. It's so unusual to not have cans on when you're in the studio. Yep. That's what I did yesterday too. <laughs> I've never if I can... I've never done that. I've always had headphones on and it's it enables me, it just enables me to be in time. And, you know, when you play with the click, it's just, well, you don't play yeah. with the click because for you, for, if you, with you and a click, that's very prescriptive, isn't it? And yeah, you like to break boundaries, but. Well, my click is internal. Yeah. But then you have to rely on your musicians. You have to trust your musicians for their click to yep. be the same, don't they? Yes, you do. Which is why rhythm is the part of the music where we're together. And it does take a lot of trust. Like there's the trust between you and your instrument and you and your musicality. And then there's a the trust between you and everyone else. So it was done in a day. And yes, it, 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 <laughs> Sorry, took, it, it obviously took longer to mix it and do everything to do mm -hmm. all the post-production. But when you're going to play this live, it won't be the same, would it? Because of that improv. Is that the beauty of, of, of this? Is that when you get the album or when you download the album, you are getting something of that moment. Go and see you live. You're getting something of that moment still. Yes. Well, that's, that's the thing with the way that I write is that there's parts that are written that are very clearly composed. And then there's parts that are improvised. And it has a conceptual core. Like, we all know what part is the fog, what part is the fire, what we're expressing in each moment, but how we choose to express that is going to be different every time. <laughs> Your facial expressions are just bringing me a lot of joy right now. <laughs> It just it just make it makes a lot of sense, but for an old geezer like me, it it's quite frightening because I've only it is ever, scary. I've only ever gone into the recording studio with dots in front of me and headphones on, and that's easy because everything is prescriptive. To do what you do, not only in the studio but also on stage, I mean, you literally are sort of naked, aren't you? There is nowhere to run or nowhere to hide, which you won't want to do anyway. No, there, there isn't. And that to me is, is the beauty of the art form is that you are, it's not necessarily naked, but it's, there's a vulnerability and there is a openness to other ideas that transcends from the stage into the audience. Like you're, you're having an experience together and depending on who shows up, I'm not going to play the same. Hmm. The audience has a huge impact on what I choose to do. That is that is a that is an, an additional energy then, isn't it? Not only have you got the energy oh, amongst sure. musicians, you're then drawing it onto how you perform at that moment. Yeah, because like if you think about it, if we go back to the rhythm conversation. Breath is rhythm. Movement is rhythm. I mean, we everything. If we take rhythms in general, this is about to get real conceptual. Sorry, Jean Paul. <laughs> if we take rhythms in general. They're always divided in either twos or threes. Everything can be broken down to twos or threes. Now, twos, that makes sense if you look at the world and look at how we experience time. There's day and there's night. There's always duality. And if you look at cultures around the world who are focused in duality, which like a lot of Christian cultures have a dualistic idea embedded in the culture, and listen to their music, a lot of it's in two, a lot of it's in four. They don't use those many triplets. If you look at cultures where instead they, they think in a triple reality where they, like, they have three versions of a time of day, there's day, there's evening, there's night, like, which a lot of South American cultures will think like that. You look at their music, a lot of it is triple. A lot of it's in threes. <laughs> I just waltz to a three. <laughs> <laughs> right? But if you're if you're looking at rhythm in a room, if you're looking at a room full of people, mm. then you have this experience of like everyone's breathing. There's in and out. That's duality. That's rhythm. And that fills the space. So if there's 100 people in a space, that's going to feel different. The rhythm, the pulse of that room is going to be different than if it's three people in a space. Now, I know it doesn't matter to you, but where do you get the most energy? I know you like playing intimate venues, but... When you play a big venue, how does that differ with what comes to you as a musician, to that small, intimate? I don't really know how to answer that. I, I don't feel like I've played big enough venues to say that I've played big venues. 
the people, if I can see the motion, if I can see the reaction or if I can feel it, that's what impacts me. And it doesn't, the space doesn't matter so much. And it's more outdoor, indoor, actually. That's a better metaphor for me is like, mm-hmm. if I'm playing in an outdoor space, the space impacts and the presence of the people and whatever else is there impacts. But every space is different. Yeah, I get like that. Like playing, playing at NFA is entirely different than playing at the 55 bar. And playing at the 55 bar on a Monday is different than playing there on a Friday because the different types of people show up and that changes how I'm going to react. Like, I'm going to use my distortion pedal a lot more on Fridays. <laughs> I couldn't think of a worse place to play than the NFA, which is the National Flute Association Convention held every summer. I know you won the top prize there a couple of years ago. I know, I know, I know. And well done, well done. You don't well have done. to bring it up. It's okay. <laughs> I was there to watch you going off on tangents and playing something I didn't expect. Anyway, we won't go back to that. But uh, Well, I actually have a question for you about that. Go on. Did I tell you what my approach was that day? Your approach was to go on the stage and have fun, but I, yeah, I wasn't, I, I wasn't I, expecting what you did. I, I, have, I, had, I have an addendum. Um, I was convinced I was no way I was winning that thing. So I was like, you know what? I'm the only woman. I'm the only woman on stage or in the jury. I'm going to see if I can mess up the band. <laughs> That's like, okay, let me go up there and let me play something that is left field enough that the band gets lost and then I have to bring them back. That's my goal. And that's what I did. You played some really silly rhythm, didn't you? Something like 16 15th or something. I don't remember. Or seven, <laughs> I did play some outlandish stuff, yeah. Seven and a half, eight or something really quite weird. But uh, I made the drummer smile. That's always my goal. Like If the drummer's happy, that means I communicated something rhythmically in a way that made the drummer happy. And I, that's fun. I couldn't th- think of anything worse than playing in front of my peers. <laughs> and you did it and you're quite happy. It was, you get Elsa, whether you like Elsa or not. So are there lots of pedals on this one as well? Is there a lot of distortion? No, there's nothing. Um, this is completely clean. Really? Yeah. Crikey, that's left field from where you have been going. What made you go yep. into the purity of filtered water? Uh, the Redwoods. They didn't need it. They, they didn't want it. Now, that that is really interesting again because... You went there without a construct, didn't you? You went there without, am I getting this right, that you, mm-hmm. that you composed by what you saw and you felt and the purity was what, you, what mattered at that time rather than yeah. having the lots of pedals and lots of uh, note distortions and layers. Yeah. Well, even a step further than that, I had no intention of composing anything there. I went there because I loved them. And then I heard music and I recorded it. And then I got home and was like, you know what? I could do something with this. Oh, so you never actually went and sat in front of them thinking, give me energy. I'm going to write a song. No, no, I just went and listened. And that's what I heard. Did you hug the tree? Likely. (laughs) Do you know, there is something quite magical about hugging a tree. I know we're going to go, we're going off on tangents here and people will think I'm crackers, but I am crackers anyway. And anyone knows me will know that. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm barking mad, but there's something quite good about actually hugging a tree because it's so big and powerful and yeah, it can tell and lots it's, of stories. It's our, species, it's our species' way of showing affection. And, you know, we got to meet people where they're at, they're at with their love language, right? Yeah. What do you reckon the redwood is? What's their, what's their love language? What's their love language? Stillness. Yeah. No moaning. No moaning. No moving too fast, no trying to push things forward or progress for the sake of progress. And perfection doesn't exist with the redwood because it just grows and it is... There's an interesting correlation there, isn't there? Because each one of those trees is very, very different, but they don't, they don't yeah. seem to care. They just, they no. just be. They are, they are there. One of my favourite parts about... I mean, there's a song for this on the record. One of my favorite parts about redwoods is how their roots work. Because you'd think with a tree that big, their roots would go really deep, right? Yeah. They don't. Their roots are very shallow, but they go very far. They go about 100 feet out in all directions, which means in a redwood grove, they interconnect with all the other roots. So when there's extreme winds, the trees can like... They move, but they don't fall over because they have this giant web of interconnected roots. And if you have a single redwood, 
in a crazy, crazy wind, it's going to fall because the roots don't go that deep. So each redwood looks after their friends. They are way better at community than we are. Wow. So Isn't that cool? In essence, they're holding hands with all their other fellows and ladies and yeah. gentlemen of the Redwood Society. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. They hold on it? to each other. Yeah, it's, it's super cute. <laughs> I like that. I'm just, I have this, this image going through in my head now of all the trees holding hands underneath the ground. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't humanity be great if, certainly at the moment when we have this awful situation going on in Ukraine, and when this goes out, I do hope that that situation has been resolved in one way Agreed. or another. But wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be better for humanity if we all had, we all reached out and held hands? A society shows its values in how it treats its most vulnerable. Yeah, I agree. And rather than society, we can use community because community, I mean, those words are kind of interchangeable. Society is a larger community where you don't know the individuals. Community, you know your individuals. But if we look at how an ecosystem functions, even when there's conflict between species and an ecosystem, they're still part of the same ecosystem. Yeah. And that's how your music works. You look at the ecosystem of what you're writing about and you try to portray any divergence that's going on within that ecosystem. Because you've always written very creatively and without obvious roots so you listen to your music and it always takes you to areas you're not expecting (laughs) yeah probably um but you're very good you always give the narrative about it so there is an understanding of the story that you are telling Mm -hmm. well I, i try not to be too upfront about that too so so that the listener when they are experiencing the music it's up to the listener whether or not they want to know what i think Like they can just listen to the music and have it be their own story, which is something that I want for the listeners. Like this, I made this, but that doesn't make it mine. Once it's released, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to you. But if you do want to know what I think, and if you do want to know my process, that's, I'm an open book. It's there. I'm just not going to shove it in your face. (laughs) Because in case you don't want that, I'm not going to force it. Should we take a little snippet of one of your tracks? Which one should we take a, have a little listen to? Let's play let's play Old Growth. It was the first single that came off came out off the record.
Oh, Elsa, that's gorgeous. I can close my eyes and it takes me in different directions, probably to what you intended, but you will probably tell me, bearing in mind what you said beforehand, it doesn't matter what direction it takes me. The fact is I'm having this inner dialogue or this inner journey based around what I'm hearing. Well, and hopefully it can take you in a different direction, different listens too. Like if this is a recording you choose to return to, you're going to be different next time you listen to it. And hopefully there's space for that for you so that you can have a different experience next time you listen. Oh, it's brilliant. So Elsa, Atlas of Sound, tell everybody how they can get hold of this. Atlas of Sound is available only on Bandcamp if you want the book. Um, It's available through Ears and Eyes Records and through my Bandcamp. So if you go to Bandcamp and search Elsa Nilsson, you will find it. Right, a quick shout out to Bandcamp and for all you musicians out there, the importance of everybody getting their music via Bandcamp and not streaming via Spotify. Please explain, Elsa, because I'm one of the supportive people here. Awesome. Um, Well, Bandcamp actually pays the artists. Um, Huge, 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 yes. Huge, huge reason to support um, artists through Bandcamp is that we actually get um, the support. Um, through Spotify and other streaming services, it's very, very little ends up with the artists and very, very much end up with the company. Yeah, you could have a million streams and make 16 bucks or something, couldn't you? Or you may, you may be able yeah. to get a, a double espresso with a million streams. So, Yeah, um, and also with, with uh, Bandcamp, they do, uh, they do Bandcamp Fridays, which is nice, where the first Friday of a month, Bandcamp... Uh, gives up their revenue share and all of the money goes to the artists. Um, They also have their own like internal blog system that highlights and features certain artists every month and you get to be part of the community for that artist. Like you get to become, you can even stream on Bandcamp. Like you don't have to, um, you can buy a digital of a record. You can pay what you want in a lot of cases and then stream it through the Bandcamp app instead of through Spotify or Tidal or any of the other streaming services. So the most important thing about Bandcamp is you're actually rewarding the co- for the content. You're rewarding the composers. You're recording, sorry, rewarding the musicians. Mm-hmm. And with all the other streaming services, you're not actually rewarding them. You're, record- you're rewarding the entity that is streaming it. So that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Atlas of Sound, everybody. And if you forget where to get it on Bandcamp, just go to elsanilson.com and all the links are there. Right. What other albums have you got out? Um, well, that's the that album is coming out on April 22nd. And then on May 27th, I am releasing an album with a collaborative project called the Stesis Quartet um, that started as a... Um, it started as a composition support group on Zoom during lockdown, and we started like here to answer your previous question. We started doing uh, free improvisations over Zoom, where one of us would play it, like not over Zoom because that's kind of impossible. But one of us would record something and then send it to someone else, and then they would record over it, and then we'd send it around the country. Um, because there's four of us in this band. It's me. Um, Tina Raymond on drums, Emma Dehuff on bass, and Don Clement on piano. And we are in one time zone each in the U.S. I remember you talking about this on the last podcast. Because the last podcast was the podcast, the positive podcast after the negative one before. Right, right. Um, And Mm -hmm. you were (laughs) Sorry about that, everyone. No, no. The beauty about that, we ain't going to go back. If you want to go back, look at... I can't tell you where it is. I think it's probably 110 or 120 or something podcast number. Yeah. But that was when you had the true reaction to what COVID had done to a musician. Oh, yeah, that was super real. <laughs> it was, and that was, you know, honesty in everything. But you're an honest musician. But I remember on the last podcast we did with you, you were talking mm-hmm. about the support group and how yeah. it was very freeing, not only as a, an individual, as a human being, but also as a musician. So as a collective, you've actually come together to create an yeah. album. We recorded in August. So uh, we all flew out to L.A., which is where Tina lives, 
and we played a couple gigs, and we went in the studio and rec- we recorded what ended up actually being two records. So the first one is coming out on May 27th on Arenda Records, uh, which is another small independent label that only releases music through Bandcamp. And what's the vibe of this one? Because you cannot pigeonhole you. You go anything no. from rock and roll, <laughs> R&B to uh, folk. You, you sort of, you, you, can't, you, you can't, whoops, I've just hit my microphone. You can't put it's you in a music. box. It's it, all music. It's all music. It's all music, but. It's all music. Where does um, this one this sit? One is, um, this one's a little more reckless, I would say, than, uh, <laughs> than Atlas of Sound. Like, because of the Redwoods, the Atlas of Sound is very, it's a, it's a very classical sounding record. In a lot of ways, I think it's kind of contained and it's very unaffected. Um, the Aesthesis Quartet record, I did bring some pedals, and those musicians are so open and so like we've talked about the tangents, the tangents thing here, where like you and I will go on tangents. I do that musically too, obviously. Uh-huh. Like, I'm me no matter where I go. These three musicians will go with me. Or go further on any tangent. And it's so fun because it's everything is wide open all the time. So we all write music for it. There's a couple of tunes on, on that record that I wrote. One of them I wrote for that band specifically. And then I sent it to Dawn, who is a beautiful pianist and vocalist. So she wrote lyrics for it. Because we, like, we showed up in L.A., we had one rehearsal, two gigs, and then went into the studio. So it wasn't very scripted. We were so in it that everything feels very fluid. Even though you hadn't known these individuals for very long, you must have felt very, very close to them because of the support network that you went through, because you, you helped each other, didn't you? Yeah. Well, and the, the, the communal experience of creativity being the thing that brought us back to life. <laughs> that... The communal experience of creativity that brought us back to life. Yeah. You're one for the quote, aren't you? If, if not anyone, intentionally, but it happens. If anyone uses that, you have to you have to put Elsa Nilsson as the creator of it. Sure, go ahead, please. No Use one what would, you want. No one would know you're <laughs> Swedish. <laughs> no, no. But the thing the thing that I love about the Stasis record is really just the reckless abandon, and also like you've said about me, like I'm not necessarily one to stay in the confounds of any roles that people think I should stay in. And in this band, that is, I think, the thing that unifies us is that no one of us is easy to define. And what that means is that Tina is one of the most melodic drummers I've ever played with. Emma, as a bass player, is like, she's super solid, but if she gets a hair in her brain about an idea she wants to do that's out there, she will play whale sounds for an entire song and it'll be the most spectacular whale sounds you've ever heard but it'll be whale sounds for an entire tune and it'll be great. And that's one of the tunes. I don't think it's on the first record. I think that one on the second one, but also with Don, like we're not, none of us are afraid to break any kind of boundary. And because of that, like there's moments where I am the percussion and Emma's playing solo over that. And she's being the melody, even though traditional instrument roles do dictate that we do certain things at certain times, we are all open to taking over someone else's role and letting someone be in a different space at any time. How do you guard against conflict, musical conflict, in a situation like that? Only listening. You, just, you listen. You listen with everything you got. And not have an ego. Of course. And there's a pause there because it's unusual for musicians not to have egos. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's unusual for people to be self-aware in terms of what their ego actually is, I think is yeah. is more the thing. Is like a lot of people think that they don't really have an ego, but what their ego will come out in a different shape, which will take. Like, it's not so much about ego as that it is about preconceived notions. And the reason I bring the ego in is as the as the, as the flute, the mm-hmm. preeminent instrument within that group. It would be is very. It? Well, no, as in when you're listening, you're listening to a tune, sure. a tune as you call uh-huh. it, or a tune as we would call it. Right. It would be quite easy to, for the ego to come out and say, I want to lead this or listen to me because I can play these notes. Mm-hmm. 
but having known you for as long as I've known you, you don't allow ever that to happen. I don't have that experience because like me being in front, um, it's not actually something I want. I want to like the way I like to set up a band is a semicircle. I want everyone to be able to see each other. I don't want to stand in front and have the band behind me. That makes me really uncomfortable because then I can't see them. Then I'm not part of it. Then I'm outside. I don't want to be outside. I want to be part of the community. I want to create something together. And if any, that way you can have the fluidity of like sometimes one person is in front because they're the, the, I don't want to say the loudest voice because that's not necessarily true. They are the, they are the point of the triangle at that moment. But like everything is movable so anyone else can take that point at any time. And if you're holding on to that, if you're like, my role is to only be this, I am the only one who plays the melody, then you you're restricting, you're taking away creative expression from the other people in the room. And some of the best bands that have ever graced a stage would take that as its mantra because you may see one person at the front, but it's the whole collective that creates everything. It's like the Beatles, isn't it? It's yeah. They were as a unit. Yeah, it may have been Paul or... John singing or they may have written the the tunes but as a whole when they played together they yeah. were all there same with the They're stones same with the stones yeah. even with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band you know yeah. with Bruce it's about that voice and the lyrics and that wonderful wonderful music he writes but everything and he will say that everything is a collective of the whole right and that's i think that we have a cultural predisposition to hero worship Yes, we do. We do. Which turns into like that is not necessarily the ego of the musician. It's also the ego of the listener who wants to be, who wants to be able to be like, there's the ego, there's the ethos, there's the clear cut line of like, that's the coolest person to be. So that you have something to work towards. So you have something that's like, this is the best. And, you know, let's, let's look at those redwood tree roots again. No, absolutely. With Springsteen, for me, I don't watch him. I listen to the voice, but the lyrics, the story, for me, Mm -hmm. says everything. Which is supported by every part of the music. And if it was someone else playing those things, it would be different. Not necessarily better or worse. It would just be different. So the thing that's created is a sum of those people coming together and breathing together. So in going back to the Redwoods, we come into a big mm-hmm. circle here, an atlas of sound, everything that's written is a sum of the community of those trees that you were sitting with. So the whole album yes. is these trees are looking after each other. They're feeding each other. They're holding each other's hands. They're supporting them through the good times and the bad times. And the good times is when there's plenty of moisture and the weather's okay. And the bad times is when there's strong winds. And fires. And, and fires. I still find that absolutely amazing. Yeah. In fact, that is actually probably quite true because I'm just looking at the picture on your website and yeah. the tree is black on one side. It's charcoal. Yes, that's why I chose that photo because half of it's burned. Wow. That tree, I don't remember which tree that was. I think it's the one right outside my cousin's house that I took that photo. It's definitely still alive. And you'll see that in Redwood Forest all the time. Like there's just blackened moments because a fire came through and just burned some of it. And half the tree is burned, but not the other half because the bark actually doesn't catch on fire. And that's a bit like our lives, isn't it? You know, our lives, we don't go through life and it's all sweetness and roses and uh, tweeting birds and beauty. You know, we have the, the fire, we have the dark sides, we have the beauty and it's combining mm-hmm. them both as this picture does on your website it sort of combines almost though it's, it's a, a visual person a visual perspective of our life right we have we have to find a balance and if we just if we choose to only look at part of it we're both limiting ourselves and hurting ourselves because if we if we just like shut down everything that is negative and choose to not ever look at it that's a huge part of a life experience that you're missing out on depth. You're missing out on who you could become if you confront those things. 
yeah, we are the sum of our, all our parts, all our constituent parts, whether they be experiences or loves, likes, preferences. We are the sum of all those. And yeah. if we embrace the whole lot, then surely creativity, the key to creativity can unlock that door. I think that that's actually the beauty of of music and the beauty of arts in our culture is that that's a window into that. Whether you are a person creating it or a person experiencing it. Like as an audience member, if you choose to listen to a record or if you choose to go to a museum or whatever you choose, however you choose to experience art, what you're really doing is looking at a holistic view of your own humanity. And it's how we look at something and it's whether we can look and listen to a recording or a picture without a bias. And it's very easy because we all have biases, whether conscious or unconscious biases. Right. And the beauty of listening to new music, even though it may be quite hard to listen to, if we were to get rid of any bias and say, I don't like that, it's too discordant, some mm -hmm. beauty just bubbles up, doesn't it? I, I have to tell you about um, the recording I made yesterday. Speaking of discordant, this blew my mind. So I was playing with Carl Berger, who I've been studying with for a bit who is a vibraphone player from Germany who lives in Woodstock. And so me and a couple of friends drove up to Woodstock to play with him and record. Rodrigo is setting up the drums, so he's in there tuning and the mics are getting set up and we're all sit standing around in the kitchen and um, Carl is a sage. He is, he's in his 80s. So he's standing there. Marty and Santiago are drinking coffee and Carl goes, starts talking about piano tuning. And Santiago's a piano player. So he's like, oh, do you have a special system? And he's like, no, I don't have a system. I just like to let the octaves expand because sound wants to expand. And I go, please tell us more, Carl. Like, please Carl at us a little bit here. This is great. And he goes, well, I, I did this string arrangement for a reggae tune. And they had tuned their guitars with natural tuning instead of temperate tuning. Which means that the string arrangement, if you do that, if you use natural tuning... Over four octaves, it expands by a half step, which Carl's like, yeah, you can totally do that on a piano. Somehow he can, and it's incredible. But he was talking about how he wrote these string arrangements, and it sounded awful when he had, you know, the upper, the upper strings playing in E naturals. Like, it sounded really dissonant. So I changed it and made it an F, and then it was fine. So he adjusted because of the overtones and how they react differently with natural tuning versus tempered tuning, he adjusted his string arrangement, where if you look at it, it looks like it would be entirely dissonant and that we would hate it because it would be like this half step between, I mean, it would be a flat nine, which is the one interval you should never use in any arrangement ever. But because of his understanding of sound and how sound expands, specifically the way that he uses it, it's beautiful. So it's banishing bias. It's banishing bias without people even knowing you're doing that, which like, that's, that's part of my, that's clever. As part of my ethos as an artist, like I'm not trying to be violent about anything, but I'm also never going to completely give in to anyone's expectation of me. I'm going to be me. I don't really have a choice, but that's what I'm going to do anyway. Do we have the name of the podcast there? I'm just going to be me. Sure. <laughs> if you like it, go ahead. <laughs> Do you know, it's always fascinating to speak to you. And you. these two projects sound fascinating. And again, it's taken you down a different path. Mm -hmm. And if life was to be, I mean, life is like a tree anyway, isn't it? You start and then you have to build roots and then you go up the tree and then life will take you along a branch and then it may not be where you tend to go. So you'll come back and you'll create another branch. And eventually when you get to my age, you're right at the very top and just wait for the tree to fall over. But it's, <laughs> it's, it, I just love to understand the creative mind and the creative process by somebody who is generally very free of thought and very free of creativity and doesn't sit down and hear the tunes, write mm -hmm. everything down, script it all out. And it's just, it's notated like a blob on a, and a stick on a piece of white paper. So what track are we going to listen to? Let's listen to We Watch It All Burn. Tell you that the, the melody that 
it happens at the beginning and comes back at the end. That's notated. There's extended techniques on the flute. There's multiphonics in one section. After the multiphonics, that's all improvised until the melody comes back. And it's improvised over three chords. So what we have as musicians in that section, we have, what, four, eight, 12. We have 12 bars that are written. And it's just the structure. And you can hear what happens. Here we go. Speaking of creativity and gremlins, at one point in there, Emma is soloing, the bass player. And I was like, you know what? I want to hear a crackle. I want to hear some fire. So I take my microphone and I twist it. There's like the puff filter on the microphone. I twist it and that becomes a solo. And that was just on the spur of the moment. You just thought, I want a yeah. bit of fire. Yeah. I want something that sounds like it's crackling under what she's doing because what she's doing is so like, it's the embers. Like, I can hear the embers and what her her playing so I want to give her the fire to like stoke that fabulous genius as it's always fun. as always <laughs> I've kept you far too long on this it's early afternoon is it early afternoon for you yeah you're four hours ahead of us uh, behind us yes so yeah yeah it's still daylight it's still well, it's, I, I, it's raining here typical it's English we're England we're, we're it's raining it's so beautiful here <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go practice and then I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to teach all my students. That's my day. Oh, that's perfect. Well, I'm going to go and get ready to fly to Copenhagen tomorrow, I so. say. Well, you'll have to wave at the ocean for me. Well, you're Nordic. You're sort of Scandinavian. So you, you all yeah. stick together, you Scandinavians, don't you? We bicker, but yeah, we stick together. 
<laughs> Bicker. You always win the Eurovision Song Contest or find a way. You always vote for each other on the Eurovision Song yes. Contest. Yeah, we do. That that definitely represents our relationships. Yeah. Well, the last few years we've been at the bottom with zero. With zero. I haven't been paying attention. I should. I used to enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I don't I don't watch it, but it, it's, it always makes the news. It's the biggest music competition in the world. So many oh, people so watch good. it. Hundreds yeah. of millions of people. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, yeah, that's... Anyway. We have digressed, or I have digressed, as always. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always. I love doing these podcasts. Oh, and I love having you on, because I can just sit back and not talk, because... <laughs> Uh, and I'm so grateful you didn't go into Swedish because... You Have know, I done that before? You did that in the first podcast. You sort of... Oh, that sounds like me. I think I'm I sorry. I think I teased you into it just by mentioning the, oh, uh, yeah, I mentioned yeah. the, the Muppets and um, oh, the right. misrepresentation of the chef and all that rubbish. But um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember that. That was a thing. And I think you tangents. Paid... They're fun. I hope the listeners... I hope you listeners are enjoying our tangents as well. I sure am. Tangents <laughs> are important because... When you do a podcast, it can't be scripted because you have to... Well, I suppose it can be scripted, but I think the audience will switch off. And the reason we have quite a, a large regular downloading uh, analytics numbers... Analytics numbers are regular. A large downloading audience is, I believe, because not only do we have wonderful guests on, but we always go off on tangents and nothing is scripted. So, Elsa, Yay, thank you so much for joining me this week. Enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, you're off to NFA this year? I am not because I will be on tour. Yes, yes. More of that yes. at a later date because... Indeed. If this comes off, I think we might even be doing a regular one because to catch up with Elsa on tour. Say no more at the moment. Say no more, but it could be quite <laughs> exciting. <laughs> it could be quite exciting. Have a wonderful day, everyone. And thank you all for listening this week. May your week be musically fulfilling and may your low C, that's right down the bottom, be especially in tune. Because mine never is. <laughs> Goodbye, all. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.